This morning we are going to continue the sermon series that we started two weeks ago called The Bible. And uh, we try to preach from the Bible every Sunday here at Emmanuel. You can put that visual up there, Shannon. But, uh, but today we're going to talk about the Bible. Oh, hold on. Wait, no, not that, not that. Sorry, I got them in the wrong order, don't I? Uh, that's my fault. And, and today the part two of the series is called Unbreakable. Bum, 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 bum. There it is. Awesome. All right, so um, I'm going to start by showing you uh, a video, and uh, this is Elon Musk. Elon Musk, you probably have heard the name. He's a brilliant uh, billionaire investor guy who makes Tesla cars and rocket ships and flamethrowers and all kinds of cool stuff. And in November, he unveiled the new uh, pickup truck from Tesla called the Cybertruck which features unbreakable, bulletproof glass windows. Let's watch this clip of the unveiling. Tonight, the Tesla unveiling that shattered expectations. CEO Elon Musk showing off his new Cybertruck. The dramatically reimagined electric pickup with a starting price tag of nearly $40,000. Doesn't look like anything else. Drawing some funny reactions on Twitter. One user writing, Finally, Elon Musk made the car I always drew when I was five. Another writing, it immediately reminded me of the Homer Simpson car. But the biggest surprise came from the unveiling itself during a demonstration of the truck's supposedly unbreakable windows. Yeah. Shattered not once, oh my but twice. <laughs> Musk brushing it off in stride. Fix it in post. <laughs> All right, so unbreakable glass, not so unbreakable after all. Maybe think about the Titanic, right? The unsinkable ship. Yep. But it doesn't matter how hard we try, pretty much everything humans make will eventually break and break down. But there is one thing that is truly unbreakable. Jesus said in John 10, 35, he said, Scripture cannot be broken. The words of Jesus himself. Scripture cannot be broken. <clears throat> the Jewish people, including Jesus, had a very high view of Scripture. The written word of God, from their perspective, is true, reliable, trustworthy, and good. This was Jesus' opinion of the Scriptures. They are strong. They are Unbreakable, they are indestructible. In a world where wildfires are ravaging Australia, where missiles are taking down planes, where massive amounts of people are living as refugees because their cities have been decimated, where political leaders seem unhinged, uh, and truth seems hard to pin down in the midst of all of the noise and partisanship and all that stuff, God's word is unchanging, trustworthy, steady, a rock. It doesn't fail us. It doesn't falter. It doesn't buckle under the pressure. It is, as Jesus said, unbreakable. Now, a lot of people are trying to discredit the scriptures. They've been trying for centuries, and they're still trying today. In China, the government is bulldozing churches, but the kingdom of God is not stopped by bulldozers. The church is not silenced by persecution. 
Jesus wasn't stopped by crucifixion. And the Bible is not broken by its critics. And so this morning, I want us to have just a, such a strong confidence in the Word of God. I want us to leave this place with a solid, solid assurance that God's Word is true and good and all those things. So we're going we're gonna to talk this morning about, uh, about the unbreakableness of the Bible. We're going to test the Scriptures this morning. The Bible stands the test. It stands the test of time. It stands the test of reliability and of relevance. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. <clears throat> As we officially launch, even though it started last week, as we officially launch the Bible reading plan. We're going to talk about that at the end. So as we open the scriptures, what confidence, the question, what confidence can we have that what we are reading is true, that it's accurate? If we're going to base our lives, our hope for eternity, on what is in this book, we ought to have a high view of it as Jesus had. I was telling some folks the other day that I grew up in a in a very 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 conservative fundamentalist Baptist church, and over the years since then, a lot of my theological views have have evolved, have changed a little bit. I would say maybe matured, but one thing that certainly has not changed was is the confidence that I have in the Bible. That was instilled in me as a little boy that uh, that it's it's all about the Bible, and in fact, my confidence in the Word of God has only gotten stronger over the years. So we're going to test the scriptures this morning. As it says in 1 Thessalonians 5, test everything, hold fast to what is good. So the test we're going to ask of the scriptures this morning has three questions. Question number one, does the Bible hold up over time? Question number two of the test is, is the Bible a reliable source for truth? And the third question, is the Bible still relevant? thousands of years after it was written. Does it it hold up over time? Is the Bible a reliable source for truth? Is it still relevant thousands of years after it was written? So the first test is the test of time. The test of time. Over the centuries, there have been many intense attempts to destroy God's Word. Many rocks thrown at the window of Scripture. But God has continually preserved his word. For instance, first, uh, you go to the next slide here. This is Antiochus Epiphanes, the king of Syria, 175 BC. He ordered the Jews to destroy their scriptures and worship the Greek gods or be killed. So, what were they going to do? Well, God raised up a leader a Jewish man named Judas Maccabeus. And he saved the scrolls and led a revolt and won independence for the Jewish nation. And today the Jews celebrate that event at Hanukkah every year. That's what they're celebrating. God's word could not be destroyed. Another example is Diocletian, Roman Emperor Diocletian. He ordered to have Christianity outlawed, its leaders killed, and their Bibles burned. And as a sign of God's providence, the next emperor after Diocletian was Constantine. And he legalized Christianity and paid for 50 new handwritten copies of the Bible. God's word could not be destroyed. All through history, we see this repeated. In the 1950s, Chairman Mao in China, he banned Christianity and Bibles were confiscated. 
The Chinese communists tried to stop the spread of God's word. Did it work? Nope. Today, there are about 60 to 100 million Christians in China and growing. The Chinese government has tried to limit access to the Bible. Even in the last couple of years, they've made it harder to get scriptures. For example, now, if you're in China, you can't buy a Bible online. You can't buy one at a bookstore. They even keep shutting down Bible apps so people can't get it on their phones. And yet, there are at least 75 million printed copies of the Bible in China today. God's word cannot be stopped. It shouldn't surprise us, of course. Jesus said that his word would stand the test of time. He said in Mark 13, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Even if the earth is destroyed, the word of God still stands. I love that. Uh, ver, uh, in uh, Luke 16, it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. Jesus believed that God's word is indestructible, and history has proven this true. We've got more Bibles in existence today than ever before in history. Over The Bible is translated into over 2,000 languages. According to The Economist, over 100 million printed copies of the Bible are sold or given away every single year worldwide. Uh, there's an app that a lot of people use. It's the Bible app. It's the most popular Bible app, version, the Bible app. It was, it was uh, created by a church in Oklahoma, Life Church, 11 years ago. And in the 11-year history of this app on people's phones, uh, the latest statistic is that it's been downloaded over 400 million times. 400 million downloads of the Bible app. That's amazing. They also released their uh, engagement statistics, meaning how people are using the Bible app. And if you go to the next slide, yeah. So, um, <clears throat> according to their, the two, this is the 2019 statistics of the use of the Bible app. Uh, there was 35.6 billion chapters of the Bible read in 2019 on their app. 5.6 billion audio chapters played, because you can listen to the Bible being read to you on, your, on the Bible app. Uh, 2 billion highlights, bookmarks, and notes created in the app. 1.1 billion Bible plans, complete, uh, Bible plan days completed. 478 million verses shared from uh, the Bible app online, on social media. That is, we're talking billions here, folks. That's amazing. And then, and then uh, the next slide shows you where the Bible app's uh, use has increased in the world, where it's becoming, where it's, be, where it's uh, being downloaded more and more and more. So in 2019, um, you can see where the Bible app is increasing, and it's in, in some cases, it's in a lot of places in the world that are troubled, where Christianity is is uh, is growing, but where they're being persecuted, namely in Algeria, in Algeria, uh, the Bible app usage increased 261 percent in 2019. Algeria and North Africa, largely Muslim nation, and uh, and in Algeria, Christianity is exploding right now. It is growing like wildfire. Uh, if you if uh, Norm knows a lot about this, he's been reading about it, and we actually have. I'm not, I, I didn't want to draw attention to her, but we have a, a young lady here who lives in Truro now, who is an Alger who is a Christian girl from Algeria, named Sharazad. Hi, Sharazad. She's taking a video clip right now. And, um, <clears throat> yeah. 
And yeah, the Christianity is is growing like wildfire in in Algeria. Um, Muslims converting to Christ in record numbers. It's awesome. It's so good. Praise God for that. So, despite great efforts throughout history, even today, uh, for God's word to try to be stamped out, it cannot be stopped. It cannot be stopped. It is the best-selling book of all time. And since the history, and since the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls, we know that the text of the Bible we have today is basically identical, except for a few little scribal errors and things here and there, but basically identical to the text of the Bible that existed thousands of years ago. Most ancient writings that we have, right, like Plato and Aristotle and that kind of stuff, it's changed over time as scribes have made edits and revisions and other significant changes. But God has preserved his word with impeccable precision. Time hasn't changed God's word, and it cannot be stopped. Amen? Amen. So the Bible passes the first test, the test of time. The next test we're going to put up against the Word of God is the test of reliability. Can we trust the Word of God? The Bible has survived intact from what the original authors wrote. Okay, we, we can accept that. But what they were writing, was that truth or was that fiction? Was this just the story of some creative minds, or was this, is this a true record, recounting of history? The Bible contains countless reference to, references to actual historical events, actual historical people, and actual places on earth. So can these people, places, and events be verified historically? Or do we have to just take the Bible's word for it that it's telling the truth? That's a really good question. Because if the Bible can't be trusted in its depiction of history, if it can't be trusted in the details of places and names and rulers and all that kind of stuff, um, how can we trust it in the spiritual things? So it's a good question. Thankfully, we have a way of testing the reliability of the Bible. It's called archaeology. So if the Bible claims that a city existed in such and such a place, and the king of that city was so-and-so, and there was a war in such and such a year, well, then we should be able to go to that place, dig a hole in the ground, and find evidence of the very thing that the Bible is claiming. That's how you test the reliability of the Scriptures. So that's exactly what archaeologists have been doing. And guess what? <laughs> the results are showing over and over and over that the Bible gets history right. Let me give you just two examples, and there's hundreds of examples, but just two examples. One is Pilate. So we know from the uh, New Testament story that, uh, that when Jesus was, uh, the day that Christ was crucified, that he went before the governor Pilate, and, and he, was, he had held trial in Pilate's court. Well, for years, scholars did not believe because there was no record of this man named Pilate. They did not believe that there was ever a Roman ruler in, in Israel called Pilate. They thought the Bible made that up. There was just no other evidence to prove it. There was, his name only appeared in the scriptures and there was nothing else. Until, in 1961, archaeologists found the Pilate stone in Caesarea Maritima. This is a picture that I took of it, well, of a replica of it, uh, in Caesarea. 
this summer. The piece of stone with some sort of sign, and all we have of it says this. It says, to the divine Augusti Tiberium, that would be the Caesar, Pontius Pilate, prefect of Judea, has dedicated this, whatever, it's cut off. But Pontius Pilate, prefect of Judea, just exactly as the New Testament says. Scholars had doubted the Bible, but archaeology proved that the Bible was accurate. Then here's another one, another example. This one's called the Moabite stone, or the Mesha Stele. This was a stone tablet discovered in 1868 that describes a battle around 860 BC between the king of Moab, Mesha, and the king of Israel. It mentions the names of Israel's king Ahab. It even mentions the name Yahweh of God. It even mentions God's name. This is a Moabite. This is from a pagan group, not from Israel. It fits in, incredibly fits very closely to the biblical narrative we can read in 2 Kings chapter 3. The only real difference, so in 2 Kings chapter 3, there's a story of Israel going to war with Mesha, the king of the Moabites. The only difference is that in the, the Bible version, it highlights Israel's victories. It says, we did so good, you know, we, we pushed them away and all this stuff. Um, and then in the Moabite stone version, it highlights Mesha's victories. We drove those Israelites away. So interesting. Of course, everybody, right? History is written by the winners, right? Um, so anyway, uh, but, the, but the thing is, is that even though they're written from different perspectives, they don't contradict each other on the facts of what took place. Um, and so, you know, we never knew if what the, you know, archaeologists didn't know if what was written in the Bible was true. And then this stone records uh, a recounting of, of history. So it's pretty cool. These are just two examples. When you travel around Israel and you visit site after site after site, uh, guides show you ruins. You know, you go, here's a pile of stones and things, and then they open up the Bible and they read the story that matches uh, what took place in this spot. It's just amazing. Honestly, there's never been an experience in my life more affirming of the reliability of the Bible than just walking around Israel. Uh, Miller Burroughs, he's former former professor of archaeology at Yale, he wrote, on the whole, archaeological work has unquestionably strengthened confidence in the reliability of the scriptural record. More than one archaeologist has found his respect for the Bible increased by the experience of excavation in Palestine. Archaeology has, in many cases, refuted the views of modern critics. Uh, a couple other resources that you might be interested in. These are from my library, but there's a lot of good books on this. I have one here by Erwin Lutzer, Seven Reasons Why You Can Trust the Bible. That's a good one, not, not too long. This is a big, heavy-duty one. On the Reliability of the Old Testament by Kenneth Kitchen. That one's a, that's a, that's a, not an easy one. It's heavy. It's a heavy academically and heavy physically. <laughs> has, has everything in the Bible been neatly proven true? By archaeology, no, it hasn't. We still have to have faith. Um, and, and sometimes there's people out there that are working hard to try to prove every little thing. And sometimes there are questionable sources. Armchair archaeologists who tell you that, you know, stuff like uh, that the Noah's Ark has been found, which it hasn't, or that they've discovered chariot wheels at the bottom of the Red Sea. Neither of those things are true, likely. Um, and so not everything has been... Every detail has been proven true. But so much has been proven legitimate uh, 
and true by, by legitimate archaeology that it lends an incredible amount of credibility to the Bible. Time and time again, time and time again, archaeology has confirmed that the writers of the biblical texts knew what they were talking about. So it passes the test of reliability. It passes the test of time. And let's go to the next one. It passes the test of relevance. The Bible's still relevant today. All you have to do to read it is to read it for yourself. And I think we can all say absolutely yes. It speaks to the universal, timeless problems of the human condition. I experience this almost every time that I open up the Bible. It's fascinating to me how something written 2,000 years ago or more in a completely different time period, in a completely different cultural context, can still relate to my experience so perfectly. Roxy Cavey, he says, I read scripture, especially the Gospels, and I see that the teaching of Jesus on all points fits perfectly with the needs of this world on all points. What Jesus offers and what our fundamental needs are, are perfectly paired. The Word of God still transforms lives. Chuck Colson of Prison Fellowship, he shares a story of a man named Vasquez. Vasquez, a prisoner who used pages of the Bible to roll cigarettes in his cell. One day he decided to read one of the pages. In that instant, he realized that what he was reading was speaking directly to him, and he turned to God in faith and was saved. He went on to become a preacher, ministering to other prisoners, all starting with one page of the Bible. The Gideons have uh, many, many stories. We've got some Gideons here this morning, and uh, you can read the Gideon stories of just the power of the Scripture to change lives. One I came across a few years ago says this, Kevin Massey and his twin brother Keith went to church while living at home, but both drifted away from the church. In college, the brothers spent a lot of time together. However, as they followed the path of education, they learned little about the Lord. One day, Kevin was walking to class when he saw a man holding a box and offering small green Bibles to the students. At first, Kevin said he didn't need a testament, he has a Bible at home. Soon, Kevin realized it would be easier to accept one than to turn down every Gideon along his path. (laughs) After class, Kevin went to a quiet place and looked more carefully at the Testament. He had some time before his next class. We began reading. He read the entire book of Matthew and missed his class. Kevin continued reading until dark. He went back to his room and read until midnight finishing the entire New Testament, Psalms, and Proverbs. In the back of his testament, Kevin saw the page describing how to give your life to Jesus Christ. He decided on the spot to do so and knelt down in prayer. Kevin's next thought was to go tell his twin brother. He was worried that Keith would be disturbed by his decision, but he went ahead to his brother's room. Keith opened the door, holding his own Green Testament in his hand. The first thing he said was, Kevin, I've decided to give my life to Jesus. Now both brothers are serving the Lord. 
Isn't that cool? He wasn't a preacher or an evangelist or a group leader or friend who explained the gospel and led them to Jesus. It was just the word of God itself. It's that powerful. The Bible, God's truth, still has the power in and of itself to transform lives. And if you will allow it, the truth of the Bible, the truth about Jesus Christ, can transform your life as well. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive and active. It's not some outdated, irrelevant history book. No, it is sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrows. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So as Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Some would quickly dismiss the Bible and think it's irrelevant to modern life and untrustworthy as an ancient fabrication. But when we actually engage our brains into studying the Bible, we discover that it is incredibly trustworthy and incredibly relevant. It has withstood the test of time, the test of reliability, and continues to withstand the test of relevance. Again, Chuck Colson, he said, it is the most remarkable book ever assembled in history. There's no book like it. No book has ever endured the way the Bible has. No book has ever by itself transformed a human life. Jesus himself said, Scripture cannot be broken. It's unbreakable. So here's the question. Here's the question. It's like a business meeting. Are you ready for the question? You ready for question? Let's hear it. All right, question has been called. Here's the question. Will you read it? Will you read it? That's the question. Last week we talked about, or not last week, but two weeks ago, we talked about six reasons why you should read the Bible and some depressing Canadian statistics as to how little people actually do. And we have a great desire to change that. So, as we said last week, or two weeks ago, um, that we are going to launch the Bible reading plan. And uh, in your bulletins, you have a copy of it. Um, And uh, we actually started it last week because they were all printed and starting on January 12th. So, um, if you haven't started it already... Uh, then uh, you can start today and and just get caught up by maybe doing two chapters a day instead of one. It's really it's a very um, non-intimidating Bible reading plan. And that was intentional. Some Bible reading plans are like read the Bible in a year and it's like four chapters of the Bible. In my parents' church, they just started a Bible reading plan too, and they're doing more than four chapters a day. And they're trying they're doing the Old Testament once, the New Testament twice, and Psalms twice in one year. It's just overwhelming. Um, And so we're just doing a real simple one chapter of the Bible a day, and you even get a day off every week. So if you look in the plan, there's a little smiley face every Saturday, right? And so that means that's your grace day. That's your day that if you need to catch up because you missed a day, uh, you can do that or or you can watch Netflix. I don't care, whatever. It's your day off. or read something else from the Bible. Um, anyway, so that's the plan. One, one chapter a day. It's going to take us 
from uh, last Sunday all the way to December the 23rd. And then starting in January next year, we'll start another one. We'll keep it going. Um, there's also a, uh, a Facebook group that we started. So if you're on Facebook, there's already over 70 members. So most of you have probably already joined it. Um, but every single day, uh, it, there's a post that goes on. It's a scheduled post. Some of you might be thinking, wow, I'm really impressed. Pastor Malcolm gets up at 3 a.m. every morning and posts on Facebook. No, I'm sleeping. It's all scheduled. It's all I got it set all set up to post it automatically. Um, oh, thank you. So it's been great, actually. We've only only weekend, and a lot of people are sharing their thoughts as they're reading the scriptures and asking questions, and we're having some like an online Bible study. It's awesome. So join that group um, to to kind of stay plugged in with everybody. There's also um, uh, as I mentioned, the Bible app that you can get on your phone. Uh, it reads the Bible to you if you want it to. So if maybe you're not the world's best reader, um, you can have the Bible read to you that way or on the computer. And we also have free Bibles for you. So in the lobby, there's a table as you go out covered with Bibles. And if you don't have a Bible um, in modern English um, or Bible at all, uh, you can pick up one of those. We've got NIVs and some NLTs. There's teen Bibles. There's kids' Bibles. So we've been doing it as a family. We've been doing it every supper. We've been reading the chapter as a family. And uh, so you, maybe you might want to do it with your kids. Grab a, a kid's Bible out there. They're all free. The kids' Bibles were donated from by Camp Pegwiak, actually. They had more than they needed. So thank you to Camp Pegwiak for that. So, yeah, I'm really excited about this. I hope you will be, too. We're going to get in the Word of God this year and uh, and see the difference that it makes. All right. Any questions about that? I love this color, by the way. This is uh, this orange. We we call this in the office. We call that optimistic orange. And so we're so we're optimistic that we're gonna we're gonna complete the Bible reading plan this year. <laughs>